Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to the Helmet. Looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons, joined by Katie Flower, the official podcast of uthdynasty.com. Home to in-season content. Actually, just... Uh, updated all of with the historical information looking at what they've done we're most of the way through the fantasy season so it's a good time to really dial in and scrub a lot of the historical information career arc stuff uh so so this week last week this week was a was a massive four or five day span of of updating everything across the site obviously trade calculator got a big scrubbing as well so a lot of that has been updated looking at and also a series of posts looking at the biggest changes and movers at the skill positions still finishing that series and of course things like the film notes podcast every monday i've already mentioned before new podcast delivery system so if you sign up for gm plus you're going to be able to get that on any podcasting app you want uh delivered and uh, again, it's just been so seamless. And I, I said, it's even been more convenient for myself to listen back to the show's self-scout and, uh, and get all the inf- information, especially film notes where you're recording it. Uh, and, and just, it, it's sort of a, a blurry eight to 10 hour span of watching a ton of games, plus uh, distilling all those notes down where, uh, again, you listen back on Tuesday, you're like, oh yeah, you know, yeah. I, you know, recall, recall your memory uh, of watching that game 48 hours ago. But, uh, but you'll get that uh, first thing Monday morning. Huge time saver, things like the running back roundup every week with Jordan uh, McNamara in season as well, going over every NFL depth chart. And do want to shout out because we uh, did a little different thing. I don't think we've done it before, but last week we did uh, uh, something something uh, running back depth chart wise we are thankful for on every NFL depth chart last week to celebrate, obviously, Thanksgiving holiday. And we've got Katie on this episode. And Katie, there's a couple players I wanted to ask you about specifically. So I wanted to lead with that. Um, not specifically uh, about last, uh, this last week, but uh, certainly applicable in both cases. And I think we've touched on both topics before, but they're going to be hot button issues, I'm sure, widely discussed this week. And then wanted to go and kind of get your feedback get your opinion on maybe some of the more polarizing or tough to rank players I I found myself even digging into their historical profiles and just trying to center on where I think the the right spot to have them in positional rankings for dynasty purposes but let's start close to home for you the Dallas Cowboys and I think the two ways to, to phrase options, we were actually talking about having polls and quizzing people and things like that uh, right before the call, uh, right before this, uh, this show started. But Ezekiel Elliott, is this a tremendous historical opportunity for a 25, not yet 26-year-old, historically elite profile in many, many ways coming off of what is already, I mean, it's kind of locked in. This is going to be an overtly down year for him. Or is this, oh, he has lost three steps. 
Uh, this is the beginning of the end. He does not look athletic enough. Tony Pollard is, <laughs> some people have said better than him, but let's, let's guard that a little bit. Let's just say he is pushing him or should get more touches. Let's use that soft soft sell of that, so to speak. Is this going to be, we look back in 12 to 24 months and it's like, hey, remember that, that window that even extended into the off season where, where Zeke was highly affordable compared to a few months before that? Or is it going to be one where you're like, don't really take the bait. He could be a falling knife and there's plenty of risk here. Well, there's plenty of risk because of his off field stuff. And I think that his attitude has changed a little bit after he signed his big contract Plus, you know, with the struggles with the offensive line and the team in general, I think his heart isn't in it for whatever reason. Um, but I think it's a buy low window for him. I personally don't like the guy, and I would rather have some other targets, but it depends on the price also. Um, but, yeah, he's an elite running back, and I think he will make it back. It's not like he's too old or – you know, been injured and, and lost a step. I don't think that's the case. I think it's for him, it's between his two ears. If the, uh, if Dak is back and the offensive line is a little better, does that fix a lot of this? I think so. Yes. Okay. Because he was producing now he didn't have some 30 plus point game, but he was 15 to 25, basically every game when, when Dak played. So yeah, there was big volume. Yeah, they had to play keep up, but they were producing a ton of fantasy points around the offense, passing game and running game. And then that all stopped. That all stopped. And frankly, I remember how hot it was about C.D. Lamb back then. It was like this guy, you know, he was kind of the first rookie to pop you know, to big pop. And, and I remember he, this should be your wide receiver one in dynasty. I haven't heard much of that for about four to six weeks. So things are changing across a lot of candidates, a lot of candidates for that. But remember too, that Zeke has a brand new coach and that is going to change things. There may be some nuances in the play calling or opportunity, the way that he is uh, getting the touches that he's getting that either doesn't get him in a flow or whatever, but I think that, yeah, it straightens out with a couple of offensive linemen and Dak being back. And hopefully he straightens out his attitude as well. Because he, he, um, he went at that 2-3 turn of a, of a Superflex draft. I think that was now a couple weeks ago. Just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and yeah. that seems, I mean, we're talking closer to running back 10 than 2 or 3. So, I mean, that seems that seems a little too penalizing for a guy that if he was a couple of years older at this point, if he was 27, then I think, you know, the, the, the cracks in the foundation age wise, that would be appropriate considering the running back landscape, but at 25, uh, you know, and you've got other guys that now would be going basically a full round or more higher in Alvin Kamara and Dalvin cook as 25 year olds, McCaffrey's 24, Barkley would be 24. So I just, uh, to, to me, that is too harsh of a punishment for something that looks pretty system, uh, systemic in Dallas. Like, who's really surviving? I mean, to some degree, Amari Cooper, right? I mean, he's getting pretty good volume, but you've lower expectations. Dalton Schultz is a streamer. So, I mean, other than that, what do you feel good about? Fair, fair argument and fair case. Um, but what do you think? I mean, so is that... Is that too low? I mean, if you have him below, say, 
Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, Clyde Edwards-Solaire. Like, is that, is that the line? Is that too low to have him under those guys? That's, that's too low in my opinion. Okay. I think looking at what uh, I see on your board, you've got him as RB5, and yeah. I think that's right where he should be. Three, now, four, that's five, not six. To say, that's sort of the yeah, zone. And, yeah. and again, that's not to say, you know, some people will have Derrick Henry up there. Some people will have Clyde Edwards-Alaire up there. Some will have Josh Jacobs. It really depends on your draft. And if you can get a discount on him either in a trade or in a startup draft, now is the time to do it. I don't know that he's ever going to be this cheap. He's still young. He's on a good team with a good offense. I mean, it, well, I say good team. They suck. But I think that... For fantasy, it, they were a great, a great team for four, five, six weeks, whatever, however long that was. It, right, exactly. When, when Dak gets back and if they can address some of the issues with the offensive line... And I was solidly wrong. I, I thought Andy Dalton, like he, I thought he had more. I, yes. Again, there's some things wrong around him, but to, I thought we'd see far more and better in terms of a super flex format impact. And we just have not seen that basically at all. For and me. right. I thought the same thing. I thought Andy Dalton, he's never been great, but he's never really been super bad either. He's one of those middle of the road quarterbacks, but with that many weapons, right. I just thought, you know, yeah. And he's really he, turned he out to be some better numbers. Yeah. Super middling. I mean, there's a chance even in Superflex where if you lost a guy or two, you might've got someone else off the waiver wire, even though you had Dalton already from the off season, previous seasons, and, and you might not have used him. Maybe you tried him one time. And you're like, all right, I, I got to wait to see something before I get him in my lineup. So it's almost been a complete, non-factor non-addition with him as a okay now you have Andy Dalton potentially rest of season yes he's missed time uh but but basically when active you, you kind of thought you were going to have something there yeah. um yeah I was going to say also uh the Eagles offense um so <laughs> we talked about Carson Wentz and yeah. uh, specifically in terms of uh, in terms of ranking him I think would be would be the thing of he went now, you would imagine lower than th this other draft. Um, and again, I reference this one just because it's a, <laughs> it's a real draft. They're scoring for the rest of the year, and it's a startup draft you know, that's, that's continuing on into the future dynasty-wise. So the ADP, people drafting in week 10, that there's no connection to the league. It's strictly a mock. I have a hard time putting much faith in that. Um, but he goes in this draft, he goes right around Matt Stafford, ahead of Tannehill, Matt Ryan. I mean, I got to think at this point with the pitchforks out, he's going to go, d does round six or so sound right? I mean, Bridgewater, Baker Mayfield, maybe around Derek Carr. I mean, that sounds closer than round four or five to me in a super flex. Just kind of thinking about how I would imagine things go in, in January. If, if things continue to fall south, like they did the other night. And if Jalen Hurts starts to get more playing time, I think he could conceivably be round eight wow. in a startup super flex this off season. And I don't think that's too low, to be honest. I think that he's got the yips. Yeah. It's tough with that offensive line has not given him any time. And when he finally does, he is seeing ghosts. Right. 
Well, and it just seems like it's such a struggle for him to actually put a ball on somebody. Exactly. It's like you're, because... you're almost kind of surprised watching. It's like, oh, it's not egregiously low or an airmail or it just doesn't have the right trajectory. It, and, and I think you get that way by you start second guessing stuff, you pulled the trigger and, you know, you made some mistakes and then sometimes it's a clean, you know, you're, sometimes you're almost surprised when it's a clean pocket. And then, then now he's running around and, and taking some of these shots uh, where, I mean, he's lost a half a step from where he was. He's more of a lumbering guy, but still mobile. But he's taking shots when he's moving around and, and gaining yards. And it's like, dude, for what purpose? I mean, please, like the, the last thing that would just heap on, uh, you know, a big weight onto your shoulders is now you go into the offseason not healthy where you're rehabbing something. I mean, one solace is like, yes, tough through this thing, but don't put yourself in harm's way more than you already have to for the sake of four rushing yards, you know, on, on this particular play in this game where frankly, <laughs> I mean, I know it's so razor close in the NFC East, but come on. I mean, the, the Eagles seem to be, I mean, right there with Dallas in a bad spot in terms of how does the team actually look and what kind of upside would you give them to, to be in this and be competitive down the stretch? <laughs> And I just, so Wentz needs to be healthy. And frankly, everyone calling for Jalen Hurts to play. I mean, so he's going to be in the same situation. So you think he's going to elevate above is what you're saying. He's so good. He's going to elevate above a bad situation and few quarterbacks period can do that. Yeah. I think it would just do more harm to Jalen Hurts than it would help the team. And Jalen Hurts is not the most accurate passer to start with. Yeah but then you give him an offensive line that's a sieve that's going to be, you know, allowing the defense in his face all the time, every time. Um, it just doesn't work that way. And Carson Wentz, uh, I saw a good analogy on Twitter the other day. A friend of mine said, man, it reminds me of David Carr and how David Carr got ruined because he saw ghosts because that offensive line, he got banged up through, you know, 70-something sacks, I remember that, yeah. Right, and Carson Wentz is the most sacked quarterback in the NFL right now. Yeah. I think and they say one pace for the fourth most in a season or something. That messes with your mind. It really does. Right. Is, um, and confidence is a big thing when it comes to quarterback. You are supposed to be the field general, and if you are running for your life, and then even when you don't have to run for your life, nothing – looks the same and you get rid of the ball either a little bit too soon or just a little high or, or just a, not even that far off the mark. As you mentioned, it's just, he has not looked good. And I think going into the playoffs, people are going to have to evaluate whether you even start him. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And, and I would look at it this way. You feel at this point, you would rather, so you own him. And we're talking about Superflex probably, you know, right. in a large part, unless you have a pretty low level committee situation in a, in a start one that you, I would almost rather we've seen enough, man, it's just, it's just a tough watch. And he, I mean, he took a hail Mary. I mean, I think that was the second touchdown of the game this past week. And so I think fantasy wise, he emerged, but it's just such a tough watch that you would rather have, if he has a clean game, you know, 290 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. And it's like, wow, there's Carson Wentz. Like, I think you'll take, if, if, if it takes you putting him on your bench for that to happen, 
and for you to be like, I have zero expectations and, and you got to prove it to me for me to have any confidence or faith uh, to put you in my lineup. Uh, then, then I would rather have that occur. I've said that before. Like if you're, if you're kind of miring through a situation, like the first time Cam Akers breaks out, you know, for a big game, you know, and all of a sudden he's getting strong, strong touches. I'm fine with that being on my bench, but I've seen it too many times where it's like, it feels like this could be the week or Carson Wentz bouncing back. This feels like it could be the week, but he's proven none of that. So you can't have any confidence. And if it, he blows up on your bench, so be it. If it's in the fantasy playoffs, it would be my take. Yeah, and, I mean, and he's and he's when we've gone over the profile before. I mean, he has a QB five and a QB seven finish within his first four seasons. Obviously, that's not that's four seasons before twenty twenty, but that is already a you've kind of shed the sort of overt bus risk already. That you're already you've already done it twice, and basically been just like uh you know Derek Carr been on that MVP track for a season of the entire league. This isn't like making the Pro Bowl, which is a joke now. But so I think, you know, the yips and, you know, a coaching change and he's not leaving. I mean, his cap situation and, and how, if you go back, if you go and try to fix it with somebody else, you have a huge contract investment in Wentz. You invested a second round pick in another quarterback to triple dip on something else to me would be a very bad franchise decision <laughs> when you have other needs, other holes, and, and help what you have, whether it's Wentz uh, or Hurts, uh, would be my take. Yeah, um, we had that decision this weekend. We had Carson Wentz or Baker Mayfield, and with the news that Hurts was going to get some snaps, right? you know, why risk having him play on a Monday night? It ended up they scored fantasy-wise about the same 22 points. So he yeah. scored decent fantasy points this weekend. I just don't know that you can trust him going forward into the playoffs. Now he may be your only option. And if so, then, you know, I'd look at your running backs and if anybody else is going to put up anywhere near, which sometimes they do. So in a startup draft setting, let's, let's advance to January. Now, obviously this could, you know, turn around a little bit. It could continue down the same path. You know, he could, you know, have a couple pop games or pop moments of looking better. Uh, so there's a wide range of kind of what we see maybe over the next four or five games, but you mentioned just offhand. I mean, he could go round eight, so he could have that l- ugly stink to him that, I mean, is he one where if you, if you see that that's becoming a normal thing in Superflex, are you gravitating and saying, well, now I can get Wentz as my QB three. Like yes. that's an actual central part of a draft plan now, as opposed to, okay, he's round five. Like he's going to be in consideration for me, but he's not like, I'm, I'm not highlighting that on my quarterback draft plan. Whereas round seven or eight, you're like 27 years old. He's done, you know, he's had two quality seasons and now they're changing coaching staffs. And, you know, there's going to be some semblance of a factory reset. Let's bet on a rebound and the price, that would be what quarterback, 22, 24, 25, somewhere in that range, probably. Possibly. So, yes. Uh, depends. I think you, know. you got to be in on that. I mean, I think as your QB two, you might call that neutral value. If you can get him as your QB three, then you say, well, now I got to be in. I would say that, yes, he would be a bargain anywhere from round eight on. Okay. And I would love to have him as QB three. He's the kind of profile like a Cam Newton who had been banged up and, and 
you can get him, you think there's going to be a resurgence, like a Teddy Bridgewater after he was coming back from injury. And it's, it's not unfathomable for a lot of quarterbacks don't start to hit their stride till 2930. We had this conversation last week and you know, he's still just 27. You've, we've seen him do it. And I, I do not see Jalen Hurts as Philadelphia's okay. long-term solution. I think they're going to give Wentz every benefit of every doubt. Well, they have to at least for the next 18 months or so. So it's right. not, that's not much of a question. If you have that guy on your bench, I mean, you're just hemorrhaging. And especially if a cap drops, I mean, you're talking, I mean, that's going to be such a, a, a death knell factory reset sort of thing because you bench him. And, you know, not he gets hurt and then Hurts plays and then doesn't play well. Now, where do you sit? And, and Hurts was one of those guys, I mean, rewinding 11 months that I was really excited to watch him uh, because, you know, on paper, looks like a really good quarterback prospect. And I, you know, I, I turned around full circle, I, not full circle, 180 degrees on him uh, in, in Mobile because I was like, this guy can't throw. Like this yep. guy can't throw. He holds the ball, holds it, holds it, holds it. And it's like he got maximized by, uh, by his offense in college that I was like, well, you got guys running free. You got first round picks going against UDFA guys. Then, uh, you know, you have a giant tactical advantage there and a talent edge that you're not going to have in the NFL. So, so good luck, Mr. Hertz. And I just, I, I don't think he's going to be, I don't think he can play. I agree. I think it's a wasted pick for them. I mean, they should have gone O-line or something else, something, anything. <laughs> um, so running back, um, so how high is too high for DeAndre Swift? You know I love the dude. I know. That's why I'm asking you, the resident, I love that dude, you know, Georgia running back connoisseur of if you are – okay, someone comes up. They're like, hey, Katie, I have this startup draft coming up. I love DeAndre Swift. I'm building – you know, not specifically for 2021 here, you know, I'm drafting in January and, you know, I want to get a running back anchor. You know, I am looking at the younger guys, so I'm not really going to be interested in Zeke or Dalvin cook, or, you know, I, I want a guy, you know, 21, 22, 23 years old. So he's looking at the young guys. How high like is late first too early for Deandre Swift in that setting with that question. In just a standard PPR format? Uh, let's just talk. Okay, just I'll, I'll, I'll put this moniker. We're, we're going to talk Superflex. Okay. As the, as the, go, as the go-to for, for now, yeah. So late first would be too early for him. Okay, running back four, five, six, or, somewhere like that. You're going to have two or three quarterbacks in round one, and you're going to have two or three more quarterbacks in round two. Yeah. I think DeAndre Swift would be more like the end of the second. Okay. So aggressive would just be on the earlier side of the later second. Is that accurate? Say that again. So the aggressive side for your recommendation would be like the back half of round two. Right. That would be aggressive. That would be running back, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine, and being aggressive on that spectrum. There's so many running backs. Right. It really depends on what your league mates covet because you got the top five that are probably just going to go within, you know. Around. Right. And then you've also got a smattering of wide receivers plus the quarterbacks. So should you just be flexible? Should you just be flexible and say, 
you know, if, if I'm looking late second, okay, if Zeke goes before that, fine. If he's there, that's nice value. If Swift makes it beyond that, then I, I'm digging that. If Jacobs makes it, I'm down with that. Like, should you be a little more agnostic maybe in that range? Well, you should, you should anyway, in yeah. any startup draft, we always preach being, you know, in tears. And, right. you know, as much as I love DeAndre Swift, to say that he's that much higher than Josh Jacobs or Nick Chubb. Okay. Uh, right. You can't say that. That's what you're saying. Right. He's, he's in that grouping of, you know, say mid-second to maybe mid-third, you know, if someone slides through depending on positions. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I put this out on Twitter, so, and I don't know if I've – I don't think we've talked about this guy in a while. But so why – it's a little perplexing to me because people love young running backs and they love running backs that produce right away. And especially if they're producing right away and have a job and they have, you know, they're not like a, a later day three pedigree. Like they actually have some pedigree to them. So why? So if Antonio Gibson goes on a, uh, a torch the league stretch to close the season, it seems like he's still going to be back in like round three or so of a startup draft. It seems like like there is a, a glass ceiling there and he's going to have a hard time pushing through. And I'm a little confused why if he literally finishes the season as like a top six or eight running back. Well, again, it's, it's the sheer volume of really good running backs that okay. he happens to be up against. Okay. You know, there's at least eight that are as talented with as good situations with okay. – you know, so it's, again, it's, it's the flavor and there's going to be somebody that falls away. And Antonio Gibson is another one where if I didn't get Swift, but then two or three picks later, I got Gibson. I'd be happy with that. It just seems like it's a, it, it does seem like it's a meaty zone. I'm just surprised that if you have a running back finishing that highly, that maybe doesn't have the, well, look at, you know, look at the fact of he doesn't have draft pedigree like James Robinson per se, like you got Gibson, which was what the first uh, two picks of the, of the third round. And here he is, he's running with the job kind of, you know, he's, he's doing everything he needs to. And you can actually say the offense is maybe in line to get better next year that, uh, but yet, you know, it seems like he can produce, you know, it, it seems what's a, I mean, he might go higher in 2021 redraft leagues than startups, which is uh, I know Adam Harstead puts out on Twitter. There's very rare cases of that occurring for a younger right. player. Do you remember back, I think it was 2014 when Giovanni Bernard was a first round, late first, early <laughs> yeah. second, yeah. and Monty Ball was up there also. Yeah. Do you know why they were? Because they were young and the promise of a job. They were young, but there was no other real options at running back. <laughs> Touche, you've good point. Got, yeah. You've got so much talent yeah. besides the, the rookies from this year's class, and there's at least half dozen of them that could be, but then you've got the Christian McCaffrey's and Alvin Kamara and Saquon Barkley and Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott, yeah. you know, and Josh Jacobs and Derrick Henry. So where do you really select? Right. And that's not even including the talented, talented. It's, a, it's almost like a tough beat, right? In poker where it's like, you know, so Antonio Gibson, you got a good hand, but the problem is around the table, there's a lot of good hands. Exactly. Is what you're kind of saying. So it's, yeah, I found that there really is a stark, like, 20, 22, 24 running backs in, like there is a stark drop beyond that point. But there's a really good crop of 18 to 24 or so that, I mean, <laughs> if you're getting two of them, you feel pretty good. And if you, especially if you don't have to pay, 
you know, however you tier it, if you end up getting a guy a whole round later, you can still maybe get within your same tier, which is, which is going to be a big time value, especially if you trade back or you're able to supplement a cornerstone to other position or something. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like, cause we still have guys that are, I mean, that could pop quite a bit with JK Dobbins or Cam Akers or, I mean, for example, Ronald Jones, I mean, he could be sans Leonard Fournette next year. And, right. and, and I mean, he's stuck sort of in the mid rounds where you go, eh, he's not moving up much, you know, I mean, I'm not sure, really sure how the rest of this year goes, but there's a cap ceiling there uh, that he's just not going to move past a lot of those guys. Um, okay. Uh, let me make sure I get in here. So the bigger, th- biggest thing I wanted to ask you about is the old guard versus new guard wide receivers. You got a lot of young guns that are producing, whether they're say third year players, second year or rookies. But then you've got the, the old guard, the Hopkins, the Adams, Michael Thomas, um, Amari Cooper, Tyree Kill. Let's call him old guard at 26, going to be 27 in the offseason. Um, even if you want to put in Allen Robinson, Mike Evans. But yeah, you've got all these young guns. Are you generally one? And I know we, you, uh, we saw you do a mock draft. I think we talked about it a little bit. So we got through that and you drafted a ton of wide receivers in the first five, six rounds. I think all wide receivers that are you generally siding with, give me the 26, 27, 28 year old that they've been there, done that number of rock solid seasons or the guy that, Hey, they're on a positive track. They're on the success track, but yet they've done it for part of this year as a rookie, or they've done it for, you know, they were pretty good last year. They're taking a step forward this year, but it's still a partial or incomplete grade compared to the other guys. A lot of that does depend on where in the draft that I am. But for the most part, I'm of the mind that if you can trade out of round one, that's in your best interest. If you can get a decent package to trade out of round one. And even now, I think that that's going to push to round two. I wouldn't even mind trading out of round one and round two and starting my draft in round three and then where it's like you have three, three, four, four, five, five, six, like you have double up picks for like two or three straight rounds. Yeah. The juicy value is going to be in that round uh, four through six range. Plus if you can get additional future first for moving back, there's a lot of juicy yeah. young guys. DK Metcalf. I think he's going to be a lock in the first round and he looks the part. I don't see it. I've changed my mind a little bit about him. If he were there late first, I wouldn't have a problem taking him. Um, Guys like AJ Brown. Again, I, he's 23 years old. I've loved him his entire college career. I I don't see his situation changing, you know, to be going downhill or anything anytime soon. And, but that creates pockets of, really good value guys like Mike Evans guys like uh, Amari Cooper they will fall you will get in that four five and six round especially if it's a super flex Keenan Allen um, uh, you know the, the nice thing about this year's wide receiver crop again because that tier is so deep and you've got the smattering of the older players in there you're going to have a Brandon Ayuk or a T Higgins available to you in round four. There's just so many players that are going to have to go in front of them. Right. 
Yeah, it does, feel, it feel, does feel like a trade-down year. It feels like a trade-down right. so year. It feels like an arbitrage. Like, just sit there, and yeah, you're going to see a lot of good players go off the board. But if you just sit there, and like you said, even if your first pick isn't until the 2-3 turn or third round or whatever, just sit there and wait because you know just sheer count, – count out the names. I mean, the, the, the little uh, preschool Chad practice that I do where I literally – okay, I'm 12 picks from now. Let me highlight the 12 guys that I would be perfectly fine taking and know that one of those is going to be available to you. And then all of a sudden you feel a lot more comfortable just sitting there because you're like, well, I'm gonna, there's probably going to be a rogue pick in there, so I'm going to probably have options within these X number of players as well. And then when it gets to your turn, if there's still six or seven players that you've yeah. got on your board, that's a perfect, that, that's screaming trade back. Right. And you can get extra value from doing that. That's unless, how, you, unless you have two picks in that five or six pick zone, you're like, well, now I get two of those guys. Well, you can do that or you can take your favorite and then trade your second pick back. Or right. Depending on if you're a gambler and you think, well, I can still get my favorite in three picks, I'm going to trade this one because it's a more valuable pick. And I think that the target is this person or, or in this range. A lot of it is study your league mates, even if it's a brand new startup and you only have the group chat. You can tell from the first round or two and from group chat which guys are the wheeler dealers and which ones want to, you know, come out the gate with that win now. And those are the teams that you target and they're more than willing to throw in future picks to get a stacked team right now. And we know that year one is the hardest one to win, but it's also the least important. In a start one tight end, would you be waiting a long, long, long time before you address the position? Okay. Um, I did, forgot to say something at the running back spot, which is until Drew Brees is back. Oh, yeah. Is Alvin Kamara an auto start? No. Okay. Like how? He's, like just, He's now questionable. He, he like questionable because he cause got way more. The, yeah. If he doesn't get, if he doesn't get more than a couple targets, and I think that should be your expectation any Taysom Hill week. I mean, you've got to consider him sort of even or maybe even behind Latavius Murray in who am I starting in a particular, you know, just, just stacking up running backs, right? I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? I mean, it, it seems like the power running with Latavius Murray has been their preference with, with Taysom right. Hill, that pairing. So if you, if you, wherever you think Kamara and, and Murray are, they need to be really close together for lineup decisions. Yeah, uh, Tim and I just traded uh, to get Tom Brady and Latavius Murray as insurance for a playoff run in a team that we come home. And I'm so glad that we got Latavius Murray because we may start him. We may have to start him over Alvin Kamara. We got him as insurance, you know, for Kamara. But with Taysom Hill in, it's looking like – Kamara is persona non grata, and it, it's just weird. I don't like the game flow. I don't like – it's no fun to even watch the game. <laughs> it isn't. No, I like I got, I got you. Yeah, no, I do too. And it feels very – this is going to be a bad reference, but it feel, feels very helter-skelter with, with Taysom Hill. Like when he drops back, 
Number one, you don't have confidence he's actually going to throw it. Number two, it's a lot higher variance in terms of what's the read going to be like with, there's a rhythm, a timing and rhythm to the offense with Drew Brees that just isn't there with Taysom Hill. I'm not saying they can't win. I'm not saying they can't put up 30 points. I'm just saying it looks, it looks different and you certainly have less confidence that the check down is coming. It's going to be a lot more high variance of, well, there's a 25-yard completion, or now he's running for 15 yards. Uh, or, I mean, how many guys are just running open and he just isn't going to throw it because, you know, just that, that confidence and that, that, that accuracy is not there. And, and yeah, yeah, so I, I think down this stretch, now, now Kamara has the, you know, Drew Brees coming back, uh, you know, carrot out there of that's going to change and you're going to go right back to starting Kamara. Uh, when or if that occurs. But Ezekiel Elliott, you're not going to have that we're waiting on someone to come back. There is no big earth-shattering quarterback change that's going to make you feel better about Zeke. But Zeke at least has that continuity of the volume's going to be there. And with Kamara, you don't even have... So I feel better about Zeke until, you know, with, with Taysom Hill, the assumption Taysom Hill under center, that I feel better about Zeke in lineups than, than Kamara. But yeah, Kamara you look at it, we had two games in a row and I just don't know how this week, next week, critical weeks, you can have a lot of confidence. I don't believe that you can either. And that is why we have always said, you know, if you've got a tiebreaker on the bottom of your roster, go for it, an injury away running back rather than a wide receiver. They're going to be so much more critical and easier to plug and play when things change. Um, And so Hopefully you've got depth. I yeah. mean, it's going to stink because you got a big name like that. And the, the right. tendency is, man, play your studs. Don't get cute. But on the other hand, if you see a trend, you've got to pay attention to it. Well, it's just like matchups, right? It's, a, it's funny. Every, time I, every week when I, when I put into the, you know, the most optimal good and bad matchups, uh, for running backs, I go through when I finish the week, you know, I'm going through on Monday and kind of getting it ready for the following week. So I, I clear out those matchups and, and get it ready for the new week. But I look back and it's amazing. Unless it's a, a complete S show with the actual running backs and some big murky committee or all the guys suck or whatever. But otherwise, if it's a known sort of quasi stable offense, stable running back, the tough matchups I look back and it's basically like, I ask myself, did they underwhelm expectations? Or it's like, did they produce like they typically would? And, and you combine that with, did the guys who had good matchups produce well? And it's amazing. There's like a 75, 80 plus percent accuracy of, I, again, I just, you know, keep track on my finger. I mean, this is literally like back and napkin stuff, but it's amazing how much matchups also by this point in the season, the data points we have, how much that, that does matter. I mean, we let's use it. We got three months worth. And I understand week five, if you don't want to really react, I think at that point you should, but by the time the fantasy playoffs roll around, you should definitely be making a lot more informed decisions. Like you mentioned about, you know, we have changing landscapes of teams being good or bad, uh, different things going on. Plus matchups definitely should be a lot more optimized in the decisions we're making to, to plug and play uh, lineups. All right. So let's, uh, uh, UTH best ball uh, subscriber contest. And uh, Katie, we're going to talk all about you this week. We don't have it finalized. We are recording before we get that final data point of Wednesday afternoon football um, with the, 
with the Ravens and the Steelers, but you are currently on top. So we're going to pretend and project that you're going to close this thing out. You got a little bit of a lead. Things could change, uh, but that's not what we have. And uh, you're actually without Lamar Jackson this week and you still won it. Dak Prescott, you lost him. Uh, so that, that's a giant gut punch as well. But you have Antonio Gibson, uh, James Robinson, both of those ended up being cheat codes. Wayne Gallman has been starting for a stretch for you. Keenan Allen has been huge. A lot of us in the contest are losing Will Fuller, though. Um, he came up and goes out with a bang, though, with 35 points in his farewell of 2020, a massive year where he was a top 10 uh, guy uh, on a per-game basis. You got Kyle Rudolph, Robert Tanyan had another big game uh, from the two-tight end format. And uh, you can, well, again, we don't have updated, but you're going to continue to be in first place uh, with your finish here. And it uh, looks like you would be extending your lead over the field in general. That's what I think. Uh, <laughs> I've got a couple players that are playing tomorrow night and yep. you do as well. Um, you're the one that's closest to me right now. I've oh, got really? a, all right. Yeah, I've got a 40-point lead over you in general, but I, I'm ahead of you right now by yeah. something like 20 points. So I, I could open up a huge lead after yeah. this week. Um, and then it's just a matter of who's going to chase you. Do you have any uh, Wednesday afternoon sweats in any of your uh, pivotal, I'm going for a buy or a playoff spot, et cetera, uh, on – you know, man, I hope I'm going up against RG3. I hope he doesn't score. Like, do you have any, like, specific uh, things you're rooting for or against for tomorrow? Most of my games are either already won or lost. I do have one matchup that could hang in the balance, but with the news that J.K. Dobbins is going to play, he's got Gus Edwards, and I don't know – I don't know if he's going to get the points out of Edwards and I've already, I'm already in first place. I don't think I would lose my first round by um, if I do end up losing because it's victory points and I'm still one of the higher scorers. So I'd get one victory point, even if I lose two, if I win. Um, so all my other matchups are either finished or too far out. Okay. How about you? I have a weird one where, uh, the other the other guy has uh, Justice Hill in his lineup, and that's locked. Where I emerged on Monday night to get enough, I think it, I, I think it was from Dallas Goddard to uh, to gain the lead, but I'm up by like a precarious point three points. So basically, and thank goodness J.K. Dobbins is playing. Ingram is not correct. Right. Correct. So basically, though, if uh, Justice Hill gets a positive touch on offense, then I'm going to lose. But (laughs) there's definitely a chance he doesn't. So because they could have negative game script, uh, you know, with Dobbins playing, Edwards ahead of him. So the running back three, I I think it's going to be interesting just to see, because Hill basically just needs like a three-yard carry or one catch or whatever, and and I lose. So, uh, but I feel better about it now that it moved. Yeah, it's, it's, Pittsburgh should get a pretty good jump on them. It's it's yeah. going to be more where they're going to be playing from behind, I, I believe. So they're going to want to throw the ball. RG3 is going to air it out. <laughs> and that doesn't really inspire confidence. lend itself to feeding the running backs. You know, J.K. Dobbins is a good receiving back. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for the week? This is the witching hour, as they say on NFL Red Zone. And it's where... 
teams become playoff teams or teams drop out of the playoffs. It's the final week in most leagues before uh, playoffs are set. So good luck, everybody. Uh, you know, just do your best to set your lineups. It's going to be crazy. It's been nothing but crazy that we've gotten this far in the season and still have a season is just above and beyond what we, any of us thought back in August. So enjoy it, stay with it. Don't give up on it and have fun. Excellent. Uh, she is Katie Flower at FF underscore Skylar 399. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. Reminder about UTHDynasty.com, the new podcast delivery system for all those premium shows. Uh, UTH Trade Calculator, as well as articles, metrics, rankings uh, to have your best 2020 and 2021 season. And a reminder that no advertising, but support uh, UTH as well by becoming a patron uh, over at patreon.com slash UTH. We got a feature show weekly talking waiver wire and strategy with Tim Torch, as well as some other bonus content, including a live VIP show every Wednesday night in season. And then we'll do it periodically. And we'll talk about obviously startup draft trading, uh, all that uh, good stuff. And, and of course, VIP questions uh, throughout the off season. Until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep holding those dynasties.